Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, we are back with another episode. This one, uh, this one's going to be an interesting one. Got a got a text from Martin the other day, and he said, "How about we talk about?" beauty and masculinity and how they've evolved over time. And I had to start thinking about that. I'm like, fuck, how do we, how do we frame those two things? Because they're not necessarily opposites. They're very unique ideas and they have changed so much throughout the history of time. So if we could be coming in at it, two completely different points of view because we probably we are. share notes we probably and... are and i like that i like when we do that so why don't you shoot why don't you start with 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 where you're at and i will kind of evolve into that conversation okay i, th- I think the reason that i brought it up to you is not because uh it was just on a whim it, it's just something that between experience and you know the things that you start seeing in society or i shouldn't say start seeing it's a thing you have been seeing in society is this whole standard of moving the needle of what's beauty and what's not. And part of it has been like over the last few months where 
you know, I, I appreciate architecture, right? I have friends that, you know, travel, I travel. And a lot of times if you travel to a place like, uh, let's say Italy, you know, or go to Rome and, uh, look at some of the, the ruins and look at some of the beautiful old architecture, you don't even have to go that far. I mean, for us, we could drive to, uh, Milwaukee, you know, down by the rave area, there's all those old, old, old buildings and all the, you know, ornate and the details and you know, the different um, styles and skill sets that had gone in to make these beautiful old buildings that people, you know, go to because they're historic buildings, right? And then you look at what we're building now is all these, you know, oh, as quick as we can get up, uh, steel frames, and they're up in no time, all glass, you know, structures. Some of them, you know, you know what the design is based on. And, and I look at that, and it's also rolls over into the human side is we want all this you know quick and we're we're starting to move to like sports illustrated covers you know where we used to appreciate there was a standard of beauty well now it's like wow okay we're we need to accommodate you know this side the size plus in the front cover of sports illustrated or we need to have you know plus models and this and that and and to me it's like you know, why? I mean, you could call me uh, whatever ist that you want, but to me, it's like when I look at beauty, whether it's an architecture or whether it's, a, you know, a human being, it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of, you know, planning. Um, and that's what makes it beautiful is the work behind it. Sometimes there's people, the beauty in people is some of the shit they had to go through to be who they are. And you appreciate the beauty. But now it's like we just want to, oh, well, a person who is a, and I use this word, it's called slave mind, right? They're just a slave to everything. So, um, and I could be, you know, being real fragmented like my notes, but now we're saying a person that's like slave to sitting on their couch and eating chips and all that, we have to accept that as beauty. Well, to me, that's, I can't. So, there's a lot of what you just put out there and just to start unpacking some of those ideas, I think one of the issues towards the end of your, of your, of your topic there and your thought is what we are being spoon fed as the idea of beauty. And I think I agree with you a hundred percent and I've never been one to give in to that, I guess, societal expectation of what um, I think about something. Uh, I definitely take into account people that I trust and their opinions, and then that helps mold my opinion. But there has to be some sort of a structural backbone to their opinion, and they have to have a knowledge base that they're working off of. And when you start to talk about beauty, and you start to talk about things that are not I guess, historically considered beautiful, then we have to start looking at what the, what is the kind of working definition of beauty? And I like to go to um, Immanuel Kant, who is an old philosopher, and he, where I agree the most with his definition of beauty is, his definition of beauty is, it's not merely a matter of personal taste or preference, but it had a universal quality that can be experienced by all rational rational beings beauty lies in the harmonious interplay of form and function 
So when we start to talk about the harmonious interplay of form and function, and we can, we can talk about the physical body, we can talk about architecture. Do you know who Howard, do you ever read any Anne Rind? Oh, uh, when you brought it up. Uh, so I, Howard, Howard Rourke is the main, um, the main character. What do you call him? He's the, he's the protagonist in, mm-hmm. in the Fountainhead. And what he is, is he is a revolutionary mind in architecture in the early, I would say early to mid 1900s. And what he sees as beautiful is leans way more on the functional side, whereas everyone else in the architecture game is still using um, a lot of beauty add-ons that are no longer needed because where a lot of these things like marble pylons and the um, accentuants under the flat roofs and all this stuff, the reason those were all there is because of the materials that they had to work with in that time frame. those were needed. Now, because of the advance in techniques and the advance in materials, we are able to create a much more clean lined less messy building but in between his his protagonist character is in between putting fake shit on just to make it look like old architecture yeah and new architecture that is built with all new materials and all new techniques and he's he is trying to lean the industry towards that but he's just a young architecture student that everybody sees it and goes that's fucking ugly but he is kind of the postmodern the the, the ideal postmodern architect and so then when you, when, you, when you listen to Immanuel Kant's definition where he says it lies in a harmonious interplay of form and function, that is the balance, right? The balance of form and function. So the, ba- the balance of aesthetics and usefulness. And that's where you start to look at the human body. And you can tell me that, you know, Bubba eating Cheetos on the couch is beautiful. But where you're missing that whole part of, of that definition is by all rational beings. You're being irrational. That is not rational because there is neither form nor function in being an unhealthy level of obese. Yeah. Now, we went through, I would have to look at kind of the, I guess, magazines and literature and stuff from like the 80s 90s and early 2000s but we probably went through 20 years or 15 years where we were all irrational on the form and function on the skinny side of what beautiful should be in a female form right because people a lot of people don't understand that the reason models look the way that they did was because they were like a clothes hanger that hung the clothes for the designer. So the designer wanted these clothes to look a specific way and they designed them for basically a hanger. And these models were so thin and so lean that they didn't accentuate any specific part of the clothing that they were modeling. And that's why they were so small. Well, then what happens is you start to see that pop up everywhere and you see that pop up in magazines and TV and all this stuff. And then it sort of manipulates the common ideal of what beautiful is but if you were to talk to most functional males at that time you still weren't attracted to that clothes hanger body that was just what women were aspiring to be you're still more attracted to a robust waistline a 
thin or robust hips, a thin waistline and a, a kind of a, a, a hourglass shape, right? Why is that? Well, the function there is in evolution. We are more attracted to the hourglass shape because it shows that you're going to be better at making babies. And if you generation after generation after generation were more apt to lean towards a woman who had a little bit more body fat on her, had a little bit wider hips, had a little bit more breast tissue, your young were going to survive longer. And so if you were the fucking dude that liked the super skinny chicks in the tribe and you had five babies with the super skinny chicks throughout the tribe, maybe two of them survived because when you got in a really hard time, they couldn't make enough milk to feed the baby and them survive, right? Yeah, that's true. So if you leaned on, you know, a little bit thicker woman with a wider hip pattern because, you know, we didn't have hospitals that could go in and do C-sections, right? So they had to be able to birth these babies healthily. And you had five babies there. Out of those five, maybe four survived. So then you have twice as much of your DNA going in the next lineage. And then if that happens again, then that's four times twice as much, right? And this just extrapolates over time. And that's how evolution works. Yeah. So that's why as men, we are more genetically disposed to think of beauty as a little bit more voluptuous than what the kind of modern idea of beauty is. But that's because it is in form and function. The form part of that is it, if you're just because you're fat doesn't mean that you are healthily voluptuous, right? right? Yes, there's, there is a healthy body fat there is level a healthy for body human fat function. Yes. yes. Now, let's not forget about men. Where does the attractiveness in men come from? Well, it comes from a wider shoulder pattern, a V taper, a little a strong base, strong legs, strong arms. Why would that be? Well, that's pretty fucking self-explanatory. I don't think I really need to dig into it. But in a tribe throughout evolution, generational, we got the tribe, generationally, the men that provided and protected for the tribe would get more of the food. They would get more of the women. They would have more of the babies. That's why this is what is considered beautiful or attractive in men. But it's in form and it's in function. Right. Well, it's pretty deep right there. Hey, let me squeeze a, uh, an off-topic, yeah, uh, yeah. Off, shoot, off, shoot, off-color shoot. Color joke that, shoot. that I told a friend of mine that I would uh, put on there. So. You know, I always get the, this is totally off. Topic. That's fine. Go for it. I don't mind. <laughs> this is what we do. We do ridiculous shit. <laughs> so, you know, I'm notorious for, you know, telling Asian jokes. Yep. I know because I'm self-deprecating. I like that. And uh, this is a good joke that uh, uh, I just saw a friend. He's like, hey, <clears throat> what are, what are Asians? Uh, and this dude's white. So, okay. Just a, just a friend. Got it. And he's like, hey, what, uh, what kind of water do Asians drink? What kind? Water. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I said I'd use it. So, Come on. so Jake, that's one that one's for you. So, did we talk about the white adjacent thing? I know I texted you. We, I, we we did not. You texted that to me, and I'm like, I have not heard that. And you sent me a link to it. So okay, so we Let's need go to go off topic. We, we need to talk about this quick before we get back into beauty and and. So what am I like considered white now? Yes. So why? Here's the weird thing. I can see what's happening. 
when you look at the Asian nations, their success in modern society, their ability to be, um, to have self-control, their ability to motivate themselves to become better. Their what they do is they take on a yeah high population number too on a scale, right? If we look at a scale, mm-hmm. and we were to say. If, if I wanted to be a, 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 an apologist, right, I would say, look at all the successful white people. Look at all the unsuccessful brown people. There has to be a problem here. This has to be because they're white and this has to be because they're brown. Well, the problem is, is there's this section in the middle of the brown people that is completely negates the idea of it being a color issue. Right or a race issue. I'm gonna, you know, I'll use the word race rather than color because it it seems like it makes more sense. You're talking a section of the brown. Talking a section of the brown races. There is a Mm -hmm. there's a big ass group, a giant fucking number. Yeah. That completely negates that idea. So you can either completely throw the idea that race has anything to do with your success away, which, if you lived your entire life predicated off of the idea that race is what is making you successful or not successful you're never going to throw that idea away Mm -hmm. so the only other way to do that is to take the people that completely negate your idea and dispose of them by a simple check mark and the way that they're doing that is they're calling asian nations white adjacent (laughs) oh boy yeah it's a little odd I, I couldn't believe it when I read it. I was like, this has to be, this has to be a, a, a Babylon B article, right? Like I, I didn't even, I was like, this is hilarious. It's what a joke. It's not a yeah, joke. Cause there's not enough victims. So, <clears throat> so basically you're just, you're, you're screwing with the data so that you're, the victims are a larger yeah, you're taking, visible group. You're taking a big chunk, right? If we looked at this as a pie chart, right? You're taking the entire chunk of the Asian nations that are on average smarter, higher ratio in, you know, for your colleges, successful people, successful jobs, like we're taking them and where that's a big blemish on the uh, victimhood graph, yeah. we're taking that and we're going, crossing it out and going, this doesn't count. This is an anomaly. Well, Whereas which? if you wanted to fix the problem, right? If you wanted to fix the problem, if you really truly wanted to fix the problem, you would go, what are they doing different? Right. That we're not. But it's not about fixing the problem. It's about being a victim. Yeah. But they can't lump all Asians together because there's certain Asian population that struggles. And that's, you know, based on their culture and baseline standards. Well, wait, you're saying that it's cultural? Uh, not I'm race? I'm saying it's cultural, yeah. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fucking weird? Because guess what? You know, we, as a bunch of Asian, quote, tribes... There are certain, quote, tribes that basically it's just their background, their culture, that area of the country where their baseline standards are completely different. I mean, and I don't, you know, I have friends that are Vietnamese, Laotian, you know, and we see a lot of Hmongs in this population, but there is not a drive or standard like in Chinese families or Chinese families, education is like, is king. Similar with, similar with Vietnamese, Japanese, right? Like these are... Uh, Japanese. Japanese, yeah. Uh, Vietnamese, no. No? 
No, so Japanese. Oh, um, I'm thinking South Korea. That yeah. was very much inside. I was, I was thinking of a, of, of a guy that I knew, and I was, I was thinking he was Vietnamese, but he's not. He was South Korean. Yeah. Similar idea in the family. So, like, he literally would kill himself to be successful in his yeah. family. Which is, I'm not saying that's a healthy level of. No, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on, you yes. know. Um, and I can, you know, speak firsthand from the Chinese family. There's a high pressure a degree to the kids to be successful, you know. So why that's why you see them as, you know, these. Quote, you know, stereotype nerds that, you know, are playing violin because they're, you know, and it's not just that Asian community. I mean, there's a Eastern Indian, which is considered Asian. I don't know where they lump them in because I sometimes I get lumped in as brown because of the stereotypical taxi cab driver. But a lot of these, you know, uh, Eastern Indian, you know, that are very tight businessmen. They're yes. very diversified and their kids. I mean, my son was in an orchestra. Not because I pressured him at all. He took a choice to try it for one year, and he's quitting now. And there was a a complete gap when you go to the these rehearsals or whatnot where they're playing. And, you know, you see the, the white kids, the brown kids, whatever you want to call it, and they're playing, and it sounds like you're at, you know, lesson one recital. They're playing uh, Yankee Doodle, you know. It sounds like somebody's breaking the instrument. And Eastern Indian kids get up and they're doing these solos, and it's just like you're at the symphony. Yep. Like, how the hell does that work? Yep. So, because it is in right. It's in Tao. I started reading a book about Tao. You know, Tao is right. Yeah. Tao is the way, and it's in it's in the way. It's in the function. It's in the hours practiced. So the you know the Tao of that family of the instrument would be, they are forcing practice time and deliberate practice time at home where it's okay, we're going to focus on this line and we're going to get this line beautiful. We're not just going to, we're not just going to, you don't need to just practice for an hour, one hour every night, do whatever you want, right? Yeah. No, it is deliberate practice. Yeah. Yep. And that's the thing. And I think the problem we have in some, you know, I don't know if they're latchkey kids or whatever they are, you know, white homes is okay. You can practice for 20 minutes and boom, go on your iPad, go on your phone, go play your game. You know, it's kind of this, uh, the slave mind mentality that, you know, I wrote down a little bit is, you know, to me, there's just, there's nothing attractive in, in people. And it doesn't matter where you're black, brown, red, or whatever color you are, that if you're so focused on entertainment, we've exchanged discipline for entertainment. We've exchanged, uh, um, self-reflection for entertainment. You know, I had to ask my son yesterday, I was like, okay, is there any, any time of your day where you're setting it aside, you know, a lot of times I have to tell them to do it where you're just stay away from that phone, stay away from the computer, stay away from, you know, logging into the, the TV and looking for shows or YouTube clips. How much time of your day is spent in quietness and self-reflection? You know, how much of it? I mean, adults nowadays don't even do it at all. Cause what do we, what do we do if we get quiet time? What Grab, do you your phone. Grab your phone and what are they doing? They're doom scrolling. And I see that all the time, especially in an airport. You know, it used to be you just sat there and you people watched, right? Or you just like looked out the window, appreciated some beauty or something. 99% of everybody has seen it. It's a sunny day. You're looking out the glass at the airport and you look around and everybody's got their face down in their phones. So I stand up and I walk around and what do I see? It's either Facebook, Instagram. Or believe it or not, I mean, even in the gym too, 
they're like checking themselves or taking a selfie, you know, just trying to be inconspicuous about it. Like, hey, I'm at the airport, so now I'm going to, boom, snap a selfie and tell everybody I'm there. And the the weird thing is there is is if we want if we want to talk about beauty deeper than a surface level, right? Because that's where you're getting with this is like yeah. it's beauty, it's beauty, um, holistic beauty, not just surface level beauty. And that's when we start to take right. We had a chart, we had a chart, and we we're and and that's where we were at in the first part of this conversation is literally just this two dimensional chart where we're like point here is one you know one unit of beauty, point up here is ten units of beauty. Now, if you imagine taking that chart and then instead of looking at it from on straight on, it's a three-dimensional chart. Now we're going to look at it from up above and there's 50 different lines that we have to start to chart. And that's when you start to get into the kind of holistic beauty. That's, that's more realistic, right? That's where we start to think of <clears throat> the beauty in someone's strength, the beauty in someone's experiences, the beauty in someone's <sighs> mental capacity their emotional capacity, right? It's, it's all this shit that we talk about with squared away. And that, that all of a sudden becomes much more dynamic, but also the, the, the gap between ugly and beautiful becomes so much more because when you have someone that takes care of themselves physically, takes care of themselves mentally, takes care of themselves emotionally, takes care of themselves spiritually, their their dot points on that graph are all so much higher than if you were to just look at someone and you go, oh, they're physically attractive. And then you look at the top of their chart and it's like, oh, they're physically attractive and dumb as fucking empty. Right. right? Like, there, yeah, there's a, it's like an equalizer. Right. So you got the, the mental, the physical, spiritual and emotional. And back then we had those uh, equalizers you bought for your car stereos. Right. So you're trying to get that that straight line um, in, in your own personal self. I mean, why do you think uh, Hawkins, Stephen Hawkins was considered, was there a movie on him that was actually called Beautiful Mind? It might have been. No, no, no. Beautiful Mind was um, uh, Steve Nasser. Steve Nasser. What? Fuck, what is his name? Um, beautiful Mind, if you guys want to watch it. Be- the Beautiful Mind is actually about a um, a scientist who is probably on the verge of of autism. I mean, he was he was extremely it wasn't Hawkins. Okay. He was extremely intelligent and on the borderline level of genius, but he was also riding that fine line between genius and madness. And after he solved a giant mathematical equation that that kind of skyrocketed him into mathematical stardom, um, he then went across the level into madness and started seeing patterns in everything everywhere and thought that like news articles were trying to tell him that aliens were coming and he, and he basically just lost it. Um, but that's what beautiful mind is about. Um, oh, okay. Th- there might've been one about Hawkins too, but that that's not in beautiful mind. That's a different book, but yes, you're, you're right. The, the beauty, right, right. Like Stephen Hawking is not an attractive guy physically, but mentally the way that his brain works it's so deep and contemplative that it raises his aura of everything so high that you're like oh that was a badass dude yeah i mean that's uh but he developed it it wasn't like he just got spit out of his womb like that but you know to me it's you know going back to architecture where you're talking about 
Oh, now they're synthetically trying to um, <clears throat> replicate what was done in the past. And I think for a lot of people, it isn't about that. Oh, well, I like gargoyles and, you know, little decorations, you know, ornate under, you know, eavesdrops and all that crap. I think it's the process that you appreciate. Because for me, I'm a big, I'm a big pottery guy, but I don't like the pottery that gets stamped out. So whenever I go to a, a pottery shop, what's the first thing you do? You grab it, you flip it upside down. Because whenever you uh, dip pottery into glaze, you have your fingertips are on the, the edge of the cup or the edge of the bowl. You dip it in and you pull it out. That's how you know it's handmade. But what it happens is it leaves a, like a three-finger divot on the bottom of the um, whatever it is. The What the if bowl. you paint the glaze on? Well, if you, <laughs> if you paint the glaze on? Yeah, right? You set it on the flat. Because that was how we always glazed everything. I don't remember dipping. I always remember. Yeah, if you go to like one of these classes where you like glaze and paint, it's okay. Um, I just remember from from pottery class when we made a pot, right? You made you made a pot on a potting wheel. Yeah. And then they 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 cooked it, whatever they call that kiln, put it in the kiln, right? And then he got it out, and I remember like literally painting it with glaze. Yeah, that's like uh, they don't do that for that's like what you're painting talking class. About. Yeah. All right, fine, sounds good. So so the beauty in in classic pottery is that you have the different types of glazes. The imperfections. Yes. So when you dip it into that glaze and then you pull it out, depending on how long you leave it in, it you let the natural process generate the different, you know, the, how the color blends and how the color falls on that glass or that bowl. You know, the painting is just an accent. I think I maybe painted one piece in my life and made it look like, you know, feather stuff. But the appreciation and the high value pottery is what happens naturally so you know there's one process that is very primitive that you can't replicate very well as it's uh, like a metallic glaze and literally it's it has um within the glaze some chemical that is very natural and it only reacts to fire so what you do is you do the same thing you glaze it and then you set it on a pile of straw newspaper and you light it on fire with a trash can over and you let the natural fire just convert that glaze into it looks like you know metal when it gets done but how it does it is it just these natural lines and natural flow of things it's just watching how fire makes that design and it's it's that journey that process that you appreciate in that piece and you can see that whole story by looking at that finished piece so when i go to a yeah that's the first thing i do is i Go to a pottery store, take it, flip it upside down, look at it, and it's you. You can see the whole story in that one second that you look at that piece and appreciate the whole thing. And it's kind of like the same way you know I look at at people. You know, it's like physically, somebody that works out. You see the the striations and the the muscle mass that's let's say on their legs, right? Especially a female wearing booty shorts with great legs, you know, and they're sitting you know cross legged, and you see where that the quads and the, the hamstrings just kind of split, you know, or even when they stand up and you see that, that bicep look of the hamstring, it's like, holy crap, man. And right there in that second, you can see, man, you got to put a lot of work to get that. Obviously, because you, you could sit there and do once a week, you know, leg curls, that's not going to do it. That's, that's a lot of leg work and different exercises, different angles to produce that. Unless you're somehow 
or spit out of the vagina like that, but I don't think so. I think Martin was looking at my legs for leg day the other day. That's why he said female. <laughs> that's why he said female leg. He's like, shit, I don't want him to think I'm thinking about his legs right now. So I'm going to make sure that I preface this with female yeah, legs. Yeah, Paul's wearing some uh, ass uh, cheek uh, booty shorts. To I like to see my quads, bro. I like to see my quads. <laughs> Man, you start to see those those the the muscle separation in the quads between the different heads of the quad. You're like, fuck, I'm doing something right. <laughs> That's um, but no, I I completely I completely agree. And why is that that we see that as beautiful? Because it's functional. Yeah. Because if you need right, if the shit hits the fan tomorrow and you need your you know your significant other to be able to carry a fucking pack for 20 miles, you know she's going to be able to carry a pack for 20 miles. Oh yeah. But there's some there's a process that you appreciate that they went through to be like that because it's like yeah if uh you know we've talked about before if i go to a doctor and a doctor is giving me advice and the doctor looks like a a sweaty oily slug from hell i'm like i'm not gonna listen to that dude i'm gonna listen to somebody that oh man by just looking at them that's their resume right and mentally it's the same way it's like when you listen to somebody try to um have a conversation it's a, remember that story you talk about you're at dinner and you're just like about ready to, you know, drill your teeth out yep. because it's like, yeah, I, I used to. And let me stress the word used to. I used to have friends that basically live uh, not far down from where you live. Mm. And by used to, I mean, it's like every social function I went to, every single one was 100% centered around some new project that they did, some addition to the house, some vehicle that they bought. And that was it. You try to talk about something about, you know, oh, oh that's cool. Well, I can relate by, uh, yeah, I did this little tiny thing in my house. They're not having it. And, and when, when we're talking house projects, not that this matters. I don't give a fuck. I don't even know why we're getting into this. But with it, was this like projects that they were doing personally or was this projects that like they were contracting? Uh, they were doing personally. Okay. Well, that's cool at least. I mean, it, at least, it's cool at least. At least that, Some of them might have been contracted, but it was yeah. just. All right, that's fair. Piece. I get a little bit more. Of the, I get, you know, let's say 10% more interest in that than I do somebody that's like, look at this new car I bought or look at, you know, look at this addition that I contracted out. Like, oh, oh yeah. you literally paid somebody like good for a fucking oh, yeah. you. you know, I guess I get it. I mean, if they more. like sculpted like this wood beam or something yeah. that, you yeah. know, they went through the pain and the process to. Yeah, you can learn to appreciate it. But when every get together is basically about, hey, we just put this addition on. Hey. We just put, you know, this deck on that I helped, you know, carry all the four by fours back, you know, yeah. for and it's that's like, the super ego. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the look at me. That's the super ego. But and, when but when you get into a conversation, like you said, that's beyond that, you know, painful dinner that you had, where it's like people are talking about stuff that they're learning, that they're understanding or they've been self reflecting about or, you know, the meaning of life. You know, let's all philosophize about, you know, why we're here. That becomes you know, a beautiful conversation versus, you know, hey, look at the new rims I bought for my hoopty, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and those conversations are few and far between. There are not a lot of people that. And I think that that's, a, that's an outcome of what you were just talking about five minutes ago about people not spending time with just their thoughts. They, they don't have a structured, structured opinion about why we're here or what the meaning of life is or what pain really is or why you have to go through pain to enjoy pleasure, whatever that, whatever the deep conversation is, they don't really have an opinion about it um, because they've never sat and thought, right? Whereas somebody that sits and thinks, um, even if they have a faulty opinion, they at least have opinion about that kind of thing. 
and you can have a conversation with them versus just telling people what you think and then hearing crickets back, you know? Oh yeah. And it goes back to our, you know, episodes of dopamine is that people are so obsessed with entertainment, self-indulgence. Um, you know, I, I used to like camping, but you know, the camping that I'm talking about is, Hey, you know, I'm going fishing and guess what? And that's my mindset on, you know, what I'm going to eat when I'm camping. I'm going to, Go fishing, I have a couple of cans of, you know, the, remember the old beans and weenies with the pop tops? I think they still make them. Do they? I have the, I, I always ate the Vienna sausages, but I never had the oh, beans yeah. and weenies. Yeah, we've had those too, idea, yeah. Right? yeah. Canned meat just in yep. case. Yep. But, you know, you're carrying what you need in your backpack. And, you know, all of a sudden I was like introduced to glamping. And the week prior to people, I know in Wisconsin and I know some other states, the week prior to, I'm going to call it glamping, what's the talk about they're obsessed with you know the food that they bring and people camp so that they can snack so that they can sit in the chair and just snack and what is the most overpacked item and every drink. clamping and drink oh yeah and drink insanely that's what camping comes from for like especially wisconsin camping is like a reason to fucking day drink yeah and when these people pack up they overpacked on the food and the drink so they end up taking all this crap home again so you know, I think we've gotten away from that. Okay, what are, what are our priorities? It's kind of like the, the joke I heard the other day about, you know, different races. And, you know, they talk about, you know, how different races flaunt their, their wealth or try to flaunt their wealth. And then they get down to, uh, you know, this, this is a black comedian and he was just, you know, self-deprecating on blacks. So he's like, and how do, you know, the, the hood show their wealth is, is usually in the, the million dollar, uh, chain that they wear but then they have a five hundred thousand dollar house and a hundred thousand dollar car so where's look at where the priorities are ranked so so yeah it's um i think we've gotten to a point where we've gotten away from where we are and able to just take time and and self-reflect i agree i agree And, and and i would like to see i'd like to see people um have a regular reflection time, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. I think it's going to look like, it's going to look different for everybody. Just like when we say you should work out, well, what does that look like for you? Well, it's fucking totally different for everybody. I can't tell you exactly what it should look like, Yeah, but I can tell you that having that time is better than not having that time. Yeah. And you know, this is probably one of the most astounding things is when, you know, they've interviewed prisoners and prisoners have to sit in a quiet cell. And if they have a TV on, they have three local channels. Kind of like you just had, you know, one of those uh, whatever cheap antennas on your, you know, TV. So a lot of times they don't watch TV when they don't have to. But they're like, yeah, if you're in prison for an extended amount of time, you're sitting there with your thoughts. And your thoughts are loud. And you're either just staring at a wall or you're in this like little tiny, you know, X foot by X foot cube. And you start self-reflecting quite a bit every day, especially when you don't know when you're ever going to get out. So, you know, they're asking, but they said that's some of the best, you know, um, self-reflecting and self-improvement time they've had. Um, on that note, before we move on to, to masculinity, um, Victor Frankl's band search for meaning is a great, is a great book, a great place to start. It's a short read. Victor Frankl um, is a doctor that made it through the Holocaust. Um, and he talks about 
his meaning and how he lived for his meaning um, and what that really actually meant to him. And it really gives you a, a, a insight into the, the quote, you know, if you have a why, you can make it through anyhow. Or what? What is that quote? Something like that. Oh, like, uh, yeah, I ran across that quote the other day, too. Yeah. With but, a, I mean, yeah, it's something to the effect of with a why, you can make it through any what or something like that. So, kind of like the five whys in Japanese, uh, yeah. 5S. Um, masculinity. We're already 40 minutes in, so Ooh. we'll have to ramp this one in. What, what do you got as far as, uh, the evolution and, and definition of masculinity? Uh, it's no different than kind of what we, we talked about is the, um, Masculinity isn't about being just manly. It is about men being accountable, have some self-accountability, and having self-discipline. Self-discipline is kind of the core to masculinity. Um, but I, yeah. Oh. I see self-reliance as a big masculine trait, right? If we're going to define masculinity, self-reliance is, is a big trait. And being able to um, know that in any situation you are going to be able to add value or, or, or get through the situation because you are completely reliant on yourself. It doesn't mean that you know that you're the best at everything because that's, that's not masculine. That's cocky, right? It just, I know that I can make it through that. I know that if I get in a situation where I don't know how to fix something, I can probably figure out a way to, to, to either get around the problem or to, to, to work, work through the problem. Yeah. And self-reliance I see as a, as a big masculine trait, you know, along with the kind of the generic, you know, strength, courage, um, protection, stuff like that. But definitely self-reliance is a big one. Yeah. And just being able to, uh, one, I mean, for a lot of men out there and a lot of women, not that women have to be masculine, but the biggest thing I see is getting out of, you know, comfortability. Because I think we're so big now on nesting and, and comfortability. It used to be, I always thought it was a female thing, but now it's a lot of men do that. Just create these little, uh, you know, nerf moats around themselves. Which always reminds me of from the Carnegie courses that they uh, always taught is um, Dale Carnegie. What, do the thing you fear to do and keep on doing it. That's the quickest and surest way ever yet discovered to conquer fear. And, um, it's a whole difference to how we treat our kids, how we, how do we raise our sons nowadays? I mean, I'm looking at, you know, kids biking around and they got, you know, they look like they got toilet paper rolls around them and they got these massive helmets on and what, and I look at some of these old memes of, remember the banana seat bikes, you know, kids making the, the plywood ramps, jumping over them, jumping over kids. And, you know, there's, there's not that much fearlessness. Or the ability to just want to try and discover new things anymore. You know, kids are getting everything completely assembled coming out of the, the retail stores. So how are we choking out masculinity by doing that? Yeah. In 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 the the weird thing about masculinity is is and we've done, you know, I think we've done two or three podcasts on masculinity now. But masculinity is one of those where your definition of it is what defines or I guess um, manipulates your idea of its positivity or negativity because if you start to define it in the kind of 
you know, ego driven statistic or not statistical. That's the wrong word. Um, ego driven kind of, you know, original old school masculinity. Then all of a sudden it has a negative, it takes a negative connotation. Yeah. But when you start to define it from an intelligent standpoint, like we just did, then all of a sudden it kind of takes it, it, it leans into that beautiful category and it, and it becomes kind of the yin to the yang of life. You know, it's, it's kind of that beautiful balance between safety and I guess go after itness. That's not the right word, but it's the, the masculine, the masculine is the gas, the masculine is the gas, right? And the feminine is the break and without the gas, you don't go anywhere. And without the break, you fucking run into shit, right? It's like, it's this, this beautiful balance and the way that that works is so symbolic to everything in in life you know kind of the the way of the warrior and 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 all of that fact because you have to have balance to become anything yeah of depth yeah it's like that equalizer you gotta you know get all those levers up And, and i think you know with time and with technology um, the evolution of masculinity will, will kind of, will change, right? Because you don't need to wield a sword today. And that would right. have been a masculine characteristics in, in a certain time in our history, but you still need to be able to protect your family. And that always looks different, but yeah. the idea of being able to protect is always a, you know, a core tenant of masculinity and provide, what did you have to do? You used to have to, to provide, you used to have to do a totally different task every day than what you do today to provide but providing is still a core tenet of masculinity providing and protecting so so i think if we look at the you know if we look at the core tenets of something like masculinity that doesn't ever change really it's just how you get there yeah so what do you think about the um contribution of um you know diet and even the atrazine in water that's been you know a side story for a while. Atrazine is a weird one, right? Because that's the one that they that they put in frogs, right? So they put uh, forty frogs, I believe, in atrazine at a level that would be considered non toxic to humans, if I remember this right. Um, and they seven of them became asexual, and two of them actually changed their sexes to feminine to to female. Um, the weird thing is, is amphibians, if I remember right, it's been probably a few years since I've read this study and the negations to this study, but amphibians actually retain an ability because of their reproduction to change their sex. So just extrapolating that data and saying that that has anything to do with human um, male and female sexual production, I guess would be. What I would rather see is right the the main hormones that that make a male a male and a female a female is the balance of testosterone to estrogen, and yeah. what I would rather have seen is the production of testosterone and its effects of atrazine, and it could even be something to the effect of the production of t- testosterone and its aromatization into estrogen because people a lot of people don't understand that like. Estrogen is just as important or more important for men as testosterone is. It's just at a much lower level. So you create testosterone and then a certain amount of that testosterone gets aromatized into estrogen. And then that balance of estrogen to testosterone is what makes you you. And 
negates the atrazine effect? I would. Well, I don't know that it negates the atrazine effect, but I would much rather see studies where. And and the problem with this is, is you would not be able to do it unless you had um, homogenous, that might not even be the right word, um, cultures where atrazine, they, they live everything else the same way, but atrazine is not in the water. So let's say you had like, you know, Butte, Montana versus another city that balances out almost the same with the same body fat levels. And there's, and there's no atrazine added in their, in their process. Um, and then you would, what? That'd be all water versus. I don't know. I don't know where atrazine, I would assume atrazine is in the treatment centers. Is it in the treatment centers? Okay. So that's good. I got well water. I'm good. Yeah. Um, and I've always, I've always lived on well water other than the few years that I lived in the city. You know, I've had well water my whole life. Um, so yeah, maybe you could compare well water to, to city water. I don't know how long it would take if you could do it, if you could do the study yourself and really be super strict about everything that you're doing and do six months, six months on city water, test yeah. your hormone levels, test them five times, get a good, get a good, um, a good base and then do six months on well water. Yeah. And then, you know, you have to live everything else the same way, um, which is really hard, right? And you have to do multiple tests all at the same time of day because your testosterone fluctuates throughout the day. It fluctuates depending on what you ate. So you would have to do multiple tests, you know, let's say two days apart, each test all at 8 a.m. or whenever you can get into a clinic. Yeah. You know, this, these would be studies that would be really interesting to do. Um, but is anybody doing them? I don't think so. I don't know. That's a. Uh, I think that there's. Something I haven't gone deep in. It's just something it, like, oh. Think about so it. my issue is knowing how um, testosterone aromatizes into estrogen. I think that where you're looking for, you're looking for a pin where there's a giant fucking nail right next to it. You know, whereas like atrazine could have a little bit of an effect versus like body fat percentage has a giant fucking effect, yeah. a giant effect. How does that affect women? Um, no affects men. But what about women? So women's. I don't know enough about women's hormones because their estrogen is a lot higher and their testosterone is low. Um, so maybe it negates the aromatization or maybe they don't even aromatize. I don't know enough about women's hormones to be even be able to, to speculate on that hmm. because I know how, like I know how men's hormones work and I know how they, um, they, they, your body wants to be in homeostasis. So it wants to be in balance. And when you start to, that's why you have bodybuilders that get gynecomastia because what happens is, is they're injecting entirely too much um, fake testosterone or testosterone derivatives. If you don't know anything about steroids, like all the shit you hear about, like D-ball and trend and all these things are all testosterone derivatives that are just like a few molecules off regular testosterone. Yeah. And when that gets entirely too high, then your body says, holy shit, we need to balance this out. Let's create a fuckload of estrogen. And it'll create massive amounts of estrogen. It'll create massive amounts of prolactin. It'll create massive amounts of progesterone. Well, prolactin is the hormone in a female that makes her develop boobs and makes her lactate. So you'll have men that are doing like massive testosterone cycles that will actually like, if they're not controlling their estrogen, will actually lactate. Like making milk? Yes, they will make milk from their nipples. But gynecomastia is, though, is, is those um, glands that are under your nipples actually get big and, they ne- and they ba- you basically grow tits. Where the hell does the milk come from? The glands. Really? Yeah. 
Damn. Whew. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you didn't know that? Uh, I, I've known a couple dudes that had, like, uh, breast cancer. Okay. That's, they're not in the juice. Yeah, no, that's a little different. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You you grow, you I mean, guys will grow tits from doing way too much steroids. And not control, it's, the problem is it's not the amount of steroids, it's the estrogen um, manipulation. You have to control your estrogen if you're injecting a fuckload of testosterone. That's Damn. why it's scary when people are just like, yeah, I'm just doing this shit, right? Like, I I know a guy, and I'm not going to say his name on here, but um, so when you when you get any sort of peptide or you get any sort of growth hormone, you have to, um, it comes in a hard pow- powder inside a glass bottle, and then you mix it with sterile water or baryostatic water. There's a few different waters you can mix it with, and then you mix it, and that creates a solution that you then inject subcutaneously or, like, into the fat, right? And... A, a, a guy that I know, um, his coach told him to go to Walgreens and get sterile water. And he went to Walgreens and the only thing he could find was myostatic water, which myostatic water is makeup remover. So myostatic oh, water is actually an oil based water. I don't know how the fuck they do it, but it's an oil based water. So he mixed his peptide or growth hormone or whatever he was doing with this myostatic water and then injected it and got these giant goiters in his abdomen where it was like dead skin like it was his body was trying to fight off an infection it was these big black goiters that he had to get slit open and like release yeah it was fucking disgusting but it's like that type of shit is the reason that you shouldn't just be able to go buy this shit oh like because if you don't know what the fuck you're doing Mm. you're gonna do stupid shit like that damn i don't know man Wow, how do we get there? That's the fucking weeds. We're in the mean, weeds. That's let's go back. That's, that's because he had. That's because he has a really poor definition of masculinity, and he is entirely too focused on the external look yeah. of what masculine is, and just starts shooting shit in his body. Jeez. Wow. Well, well let me try to wrap up some of this. Yes, with, bring uh, this back. Bring it back around. We're we're good. We're good for a wrap. I think some of the concern I have, even coming into this. This uh, subject is that uh, I believe two podcasts ago when we were talking with Yessa, I shortly, I briefly brought up, you know, look at history and what happened in China compare that what's happening here in the U.S. And just, you know, coming from having my family in China, you know, this is a, it's a concern. Um, if you ever look at, I think there was a study done 2018. Um, called Sex in the State, the Impact of State Policy on Sexual Expression in China. So um, that was done. I forgot where the scientist was. Goucher College, I believe. Okay. So, and it goes back to the Chinese uh, Cultural Revolution. It goes back uh, around the time I was between 66 and 76, that decade. So Mao is the dong, so I brought a I referred to Mao in that last conversation is in order to control that whole Chinese state of the country, basically was there was a real push to create an asexual population by asexual doesn't mean, you know, chopping people's nuts off or anything, but it's basically to um, psychologically create where basically it's people are just completely, um, 
what the word would be, but almost like a dehumanized and then just make them into just, you know, people that were shaved heads, all wearing a black robe that, you know, everybody sees in the pictures, right? You see either the men or the women, if they do have hair, it's in the, the Chinese, uh, you know, single braid off the top of the head and everybody's wearing a black robe. So, um, the actual story I got some of it pulled up here is, was a time of sex, strict sexual repression where the state, which was led by Mao, made efforts to explicitly and implicitly construct a largely asexual nation. So it took them 40 years to get out of that. But that's how Mao, you know, hoping that he would control the population. So... What's That's your- interesting. I need I need to look more into it because I did after we got done with that podcast, I did look into it and I found a lot with um them using the manipulation of women by telling them they're equal to men, but then not treating them equal to men. Um, And I found a lot on that, but I didn't find enough on this that I can even really speak to it and how that has any correlation with what is going on today. I am much more on the fact of leaning into the idea that life is entirely too easy. So people need to find things to get behind. And right now, one of the big things that um, a certain section of our society is getting behind is kind of the gender dysphoria that people have. Um, and they're leaning into it with both shoulders, thinking that they're being, thinking that they're doing positive things. Right. Um, kind of like we start to look at um, what was the, what was the movement to hire specific, you know, you have to have so many of this race, so many of this race, so many of this females. Oh, the, what was that called? The DEI quotas? No, no, no. This is way back in the 90s. Um, anyways, we figured affirmative out. Affirmative action. Affirmative action. Yeah. We figured out it doesn't work. And, and, and the DEA stuff, the DEI stuff is kind of going down the same road. Yeah, but like, hard. But we figured out that that, that even you know, Brown college, I think was did a bunch of studies on the fact that it just doesn't work. You, you can't, yeah. you can't force companies to hire off of quotas. Um, but media keep pushing that agenda. So, so at least, at least now, and this is totally detached from our, from our conversation, but at least now they're trying to, they're trying to say it as, uh, from a, from a, place of diversity not a quota right like quota is like the most surface level like bullshit ever you can see from the outside that's ridiculous yeah right versus like right now what they're preaching is if you have two people that are equally as you know apt to do the job and one is not diversity is better for your workplace I guess is, is what they're trying it's to what say they're, yeah, trying to solve yeah and 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 realistically do I think that that's right I think that I think that every job is going to be different. Every job is going to have a different, you know, a need and every uh, company needs a different level of diversity. And I think that hiring the best person for the job is always going to be the best person for the job. It's just where in that, you know, where in that, that 10 point level of what, who makes the best person for the job is, is you being diverse. And I think it's way back, way after your ability and your knowledge and your work ethic and stuff like that. And they're like, they want that. They move, they want to move that way further up front. And I think that's ridiculous. But what I'm saying is I think that that's what we're seeing on the trans binary gender stuff is we're seeing people that 
a large portion of our population or a vocal minority, I guess, in our population that thinks that they're doing good. They're not doing this maliciously. They think that they're doing it to give the small person a voice. But in the long run, they're actually damaging as a whole because it's not. You can't just unscrupulously say that something is good. And that's where we're at right now. Yeah, where I think it's, you know, I've seen that there's a major attack on masculinity. I mean, from, you know, from 2A all the way down to um, how they're, you know, indoctrinating kids at school. And it's just, you know, between the attack on masculinity and you got the, you know, the crisis of, it's not even a crisis. You got a, a half a percent of the population that now they're trying to push the agenda to everyone else and creating this confusion of genders. And, you know, now our county being the first county to um, be the sanctuary city for trans, which that's just the title of the legislation. The legislation is just protecting them in the future. If there's anything that they deem as, you know, vague rights of the trans people that they can't legislate to take away, which primarily is focused on, you know, uh, having your, seven or nine year old decide that they want to get their, you know, genitals chopped off. Well, the law is going to protect them and allow them to do that. So it's just, you know, that's a completely deep rabbit hole that is God awful. And to me, it's just like, well, why can't we get back to a point where, and this gets away from masculinity. It just goes back to that hiring practice. You know, everybody's crazy about this uh, show that's on NBC, what's called Mass Singer. And the no whole idea. the whole premise of this mass singer is that you don't see what the singer looks like, because you know that show was built on. Well, they had this other show that uh, that one that was popular for almost a decade. Where they turn the chair around? No, no, no. That's I think that's like technically the mass singer. There's another show like it where they turn the chair around, like oh that's yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you know, and then yeah. they got some weird looking dude singing. Yeah. Um, the one that uh, well, American Idol was the American original. Idol yeah. was the original. Yeah, that's the one that that kind of launched it all. But, you know, everybody appreciates that mass singer, but also we want diversity. So we want, uh, what was their latest one? Cause you know, I'm flying on a plane and it affects me because I'm thinking, Oh, they're like, well, we need more, you know, we need more black and brown, uh, pilots. Well, how about I'm riding on this plane right now. I don't care if that's a white or yellow or an alien flying, as long as they got enough flight hours and they can get me down safely. I really don't care what they look like. So you, you are saying the same thing that the majority of the people on the other side are saying, you are just looking at it from a different standpoint. Now there is people that are malicious on that side, right? Like I'm, I'm talking as the, the normal, the normal based thinking average individual. They're saying the same thing as you. What they're saying though, is they're saying, I want the best pilot hired, not the white guy just because he's white. I want everyone to be looked at equally. And that's what they're saying, which you're, you're, you're saying the same exact thing. But it's they, the practice. It's the practice really of how it's a white pilot. It, they're talking about, I'm saying the average citizen. I'm not saying that people implementing these processes. I, oh, think, that, okay. I think that there, I think there is where the fuck up is, is the people implementing right. the processes and, and the people that are gaining from it on the political standpoint. And I think there's where the fuck up is. But I think as far as the average American, you're on one side of this issue. A lot of us are on that side of the issue. They're on the other side of the issue. They are thinking the same exact thing as we are. You're saying, I want the best fucking pilot. I don't care what color he is. And they're saying, 
I want the best pilot, not just the white guy. And because historically, 75 years ago, that would have been, there could have been a brown pilot that wasn't hired because the white guy came in for the job. And that's what they're saying they don't want to see or they think is still happening. And I do I think that that's still happening? I don't. I don't think that that's happening at all. I don't think but, it's But that's, that's where the disconnect is, is you're saying the same thing from the other average American. It's the implementation that's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I don't see that at all happening. But if they want to push that agenda, I guess they can push that. Just don't crash the freaking plane. Exactly. Mind, don't so. crash the fucking plane. <laughs> all right. That's a wrap. We'll